Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to all of our campuses and all of you watching online, all of us here. Uh, It's good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, You know, it's good to be in DFW during this season. We've got the Rangers in the World Series, which is awesome. Yeah. We got the Cowboys playing today. Those of you who are here right now, you could care less. Or you have faith that they're going to win, so you don't care. Um, they play at 12, if you didn't know. So, um, and then we got the Stars doing pretty good. So I think they're 6-4. and four. And then the Mavs are undefeated, 2-0. <laughs> it's a good time to be in DFW. Um, but, uh, you know, today, um, Israel, some of us really um, worried and, and some of us curious about end times and and uh, the Lord coming, and is this, is this uh, an arrangement, or th- are they aligning themselves, you know, for all that? And, and sometimes you don't know what to pray, because sometimes you can't stop what God's going to do. You, you know what I'm saying? You can't really stop what he's going to do, and, and how he's going to come, and so forth. So a good way to pray, if you've been curious on how to pray, even if you have wondered in, in your family around the dinner table, how could we pray for our world. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the way Jesus taught us to pray. When we don't know what to pray, when we don't know how, and in fact, even when we want something, I always in usually every prayer, but Lord, I, I just, I surrender my will and I surrender my way to your kingdom, to your will be done. And so when you pray for our country, when you pray for our politicians and our leaders, when you pray for the world, a good, pray, a good way to start is, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. Today at 3 o'clock after the Cowboy game and after they win, at, at our Prosper campus, Cookies and Conversations. Uh, this is something we started back in uh, the, the COVID, 2020, the COVID time frame, and there were some racial things going on that were um, really devastating for our country. And and, and so we decided, hey, what could we do that would be an ongoing thing that would build trust and build relationships, at least within our family, within our, within our church family? We called it Unity Table. And uh, I've done that on the fifth Sunday of every month or the fifth week of every month when there's a, a, a month with five uh, Sundays. We've asked you to get together with someone that doesn't look like you, doesn't come from your cultural background and get to know one another. Ask, hey, tell me your story. And so today at three o'clock at our Prosper campus, we have cookies and conversation. It's just a way for us, and it's nothing weird, nothing political. It's just, hey, how can we build relationships? How can we build trust with one another? And it's, it's just different. Let me just tell you, it's different when you sit across the table and you build a relationship and you make a friend that doesn't look like you, didn't come from your background, and it's powerful. So today at 3 o'clock at the Prosper Campus, if you can, um, it would be a great, a great thing to, to be a part of. Um, today, Jesus-Centered Living, we're going to conclude this series. And over the last four weeks, we've talked about Jesus-Centered Belief. That's important what we believe, and that leads to how we live, Jesus-Centered Living. And then Jesus-Centered Living should affect the way that we uh, live our lives in this world with purpose and mission Today, I want to talk about a Jesus-centered people. What does it look like to be a Jesus person? What does it look like to be a Jesus-centered 
group of people. When I was growing up in the Rio Grande Valley, we were by the beach, and, and uh, there were quite a few. I lived next door to, uh, you know, what we'd call hippies. And, and they, would, they would come to our church every once in a while, and sometimes they dressed like Jesus, right? I mean, they wore, seriously, wore a robe, sandals, long hair, and I remember them coming into our church on the side door. Um, we had about 100 people, so if you came in late and you came in the side door, everybody saw you, right? Here, it's no big deal, but back then, it was like, everybody, I was like, oh, there's Jesus. He's coming right here. He's, he's here, the trumpet, whatever, but it's not long hair, it's not a robe, it's not sandals. Jesus-centered living, what does that look like? I think there's a lot of angles that I could have gone. I've tried many of them on paper. But I really kind of thought, what would it look like to really be Jesus-centered? Not in America or in another country, but what it would look like to be Jesus-centered without cultural things, distraction, and the best answer that I could come up with is go to the original church. They encountered, they listened to Jesus teach, they watched him do miracles, they watched him walk on water, some of them, they, uh, he, he, he healed blind eyes, he raised those who were lame, he even raised the dead, Lazarus and the young uh, daughter. I mean, there were things about Jesus, that century, that, those, that group of people saw him. Most of Jerusalem, most of Galilee knew who Jesus was. And then those followers, when Jesus died, he gave his life on the cross, crucified by the Roman government and by the religious people. And then he rose from the dead. After he rose from the dead, he spent some time with various groups of people, including his disciples, and then he ascended to heaven, right in front of them. He just ascended to heaven and said, hey, I'm leaving you here. And what they would do without governmental backing, without a constitution protecting them, and without any kind of popularity or any kind of influence at all is they would change the world. That group of people who spent time with Jesus and heard and watched and saw, they would change the world. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says you've turned the world upside down, even through persecution, even through being thrown into prison, and not only thrown into prison, but many for 300 years or so or, or more, they would be put to death. Because they believed in Jesus. So, so when, when, when we say a Jesus-centered group of people, they were not a politically based, they were not a popularity thing, they were the minority of the minority, the marginalized of the marginalized, they were outside of any kind of influence that this world has to offer, yet through their lives, they changed the world. What is it about them that was different. What is it about them that really changed their world? Well, there's five things that I want to talk about today, and here's where we're going today. I'm going to give you the points right up front. They were people filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, they were people committed to meeting together. Number three, they were people devoted to each other. Number four, they were people marked by prayer. And number five, they were people equipped with an influence, with an impact on their world. 
I have a lot, so I want to just dive right in. The first is that they were people filled with the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus ascended, right before that, right before that, he would say these words, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, now, he, in the book of John, we know of recording where Jesus would many times, multiple times, tell them, hey, listen, it's better that I go away. It's better that I'm, I go because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and he's gonna convict the world of sin, and he's going to lead, and he's gonna guide, and he's gonna comfort. He will empower you. He says, be looking for this. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So how many would, after hearing this, your question might be, okay, well, okay, what does that look like, Jesus, so that we'll know? Do we need to go to the Jordan River for this baptism? Do we need to be, what, what would that look like? But their question was a lot like us in our generation. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time for your kingdom to free has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? In other words, are you coming? Are you restoring all things? And it was like, Jesus, I, I could just picture Jesus going, what? I just told you to wait in Jerusalem and you were gonna be empowered with the Holy Spirit as I told you. And your question is, when are you coming? Can you see how sometimes we get so distracted by pinpointing even, the, the, the as I said a minute ago, the Israel challenge that's going on in, in that area. And of course, we pray for Jordan and, and Egypt and, and Lebanon and Syria and Iran and Saudi Arabia and the United States and Russia. Who are all, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? But our intent as the people of God is not, hey, when is Jesus coming? The fact is, he's coming. So I'm going to live my life ready. I'm going to live my life powerful. And this is what Jesus, he said, no, no, no. Nobody knows the times or the dates. They are not for you to know. Then he says, let's get back to the, let's get back to the subject. Let's get back to what I was trying to tell you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, a few days later, here's what would happen, Acts chapter two. One, on the day of Pentecost, this was a festival, a Jewish festival where people from all over the then known world kind of that were Jewish would come back to Jerusalem and they would celebrate this festival called Pentecost. All the believers were meeting together in one place and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting and then what looked like flames and tongues of fire settled, appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them disability. Now a few things about this is this would be the first time ever in the history of the world where the Holy Spirit reside in every believer. Not just come upon a believer for a certain task. Samson for strength. A king for leadership. A prophet for spiritual reasons. But the, the Holy Spirit would reside, would come in, would dwell with every believer. First time, salvation. That's, that's the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. When you and I confess our sins, we come to Jesus and we say, you are Lord, and the Holy Spirit fills our, our lives. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he gifts us at this particular event where there were people from all over the world who spoke different languages. 
Paul talks about this in Roman, or 1 Corinthians 12 and, and 14. He talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and there, there's a list of them. But in this one, the best one was that of speaking in a language that you'd never learned before because there were people who didn't understand the, 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 the language that they spoke in that area. So they spoke in other languages so that they could understand. And they were like, wow, this is crazy. And 2,000 people at the end of the day got saved and baptized because of this. They were empowered to be a witness. Now, this filling of the Holy Spirit is, is what Jesus called leadership. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to lead you. Paul gives us a great example of this. In other words, what does this look like to be filled with the Spirit? What, what does it look like to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit? Galatians chapter 5 says it like this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. And we all know this. We all have a, a side of us that wants to do the, the wrong thing, wants to do the, the thing that, that we know we're not supposed to do. That's the sinful nature side, the flesh side. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are, are, are constantly, and we know this, constantly fighting each other so that we are not free to carry out our good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. So in other words, it's not about checking the boxes so that you can be made right with God. It's not about like, okay, okay, I'm gonna will myself to do the right thing. No, 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 it's, you're, 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 you're directed, when you're directed by the Holy Spirit, you're not under that. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, though, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. Should I repeat that line? Drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as, I've, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. But the Holy Spirit, listen, when you're directed, when we are directed by the Holy Spirit, he produces this fruit. He produces, instead of the sexual morality and purity and, and you know, envy and jealousy, he produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The law doesn't compare to what the Holy Spirit is doing because it comes from within. 2 Corinthians 3.16. With un, with those of, when that veil is removed, in other words, before, you're, before we come to Christ, there's a blinder light. It's like we, we can't even see straight. We can't even see clearly. But when that veil is taken away, the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of you who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the, listen to this. And the Lord who is the Spirit, listen, this is what the Spirit does makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. You're saying, John, why did you read all that? I read, I read all that is because this is what the Holy Spirit does. Fill, being filled with the Holy Spirit is, 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 looks like this, that we look like Jesus, that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean make us weird. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make us crazy. But being filled with the Holy Spirit transforms us. It molds us into the image of who Jesus really is. 
Jesus-centered living. When you go back to the original, you go back to the people who had no backing whatsoever from anyone. And the reason that they were able to change the world is because there was something inside of, there was something different that produced in them a love and a joy and a peace and all the fruit and, and the demonstration of the Spirit's power and so forth. That's the way they lived. Let me put on the screen like this. The Holy Spirit's work in our lives transforms us to be Jesus-centered people. So let me ask you a question. question. How closely are we following the Spirit's lead in our lives? Maybe another question would be, how, how much are we allowing the sinful nature to lead our lives? The sinful nature is about me. The sinful nature is a protection. The sinful, the, the sinful nature is what I want to do. The sinful nature is leading us toward things that are contrary to the Spirit, and they're always in opposition. But if we're led and directed by the Spirit, it produces in our lives Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's something in our lives that's different. There was something in their lives, and we'll talk about this in, in point five, that was different. They were a people filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the second is they were people committed to meeting together. Acts chapter two, verse 42, I've said this, I don't know how many times in this church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, they came together and they heard teaching. Verse 46 says it this way. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Hey, listen, we only ask you to come once or twice a week. They were there every, every day. Some of you wouldn't be going to heaven, right? I'm too busy for that. I, I got to travel. I got to, they, they were there every day. So I'm not trying to relate that culture and say that we got to do everything they did. But what, what, what they were committed to, the overarching principle is they met together. They were devoted to meeting, committed to meeting together. They weren't, it wasn't about their schedule. It was about, hey, hey, we're going to be, and please, I'm not being legalistic, but they were centered on the important on Jesus. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let's hold on to this hope this, that we affirm. Let's, let's not waver. Let's hold on to the hope. God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us, listen, let us think of ways as we meet together, let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some in the habit are doing or some people do, but encourage one another. So when we get together and we we, we hear teaching and, and we motivate one another to acts of good works and love and we encourage one another in the Lord not, not to give up on that hope. So when we come together, it's, hey, are you going to Project Serve and put together Thanksgiving boxes? Are you going on that mission trip? Are you going on that camp or to that camp or that retreat? Are you going to Bible study or going to Regen? Are you going to re-engage? Are you going to, we're constantly motivating and encouraging one another. But let me Put it on the screen like this. The commitment to meeting together is not about being entertained. That's, and I want us to have fun in church, right? Some of you, I joke about things, motorcycles and the cowboys and rangers, and some of you are like, I wish you wouldn't talk about that stuff in the house of God. Can I just tell you? This isn't the house of God. You, me, we are the house of God, right? Okay, so anyway, I just wanted to jab you a little bit for those of you too self-righteous for us. 
the commitment to meeting together is not about being entertained. Seriously, it's, it's, it's not about, okay, John, what you got today? You got my coffee ready? You got my sweet tea ready? But better be worth it because I got up for this. You know what I'm saying? It's not about it being entertained, coming and watching a show. And many of us, we've got, and maybe our culture, our Christian culture has, has developed this over the years. And, and I don't know what to do about it necessarily, but it's not about what they're singing. It's not about how they're singing. It's, and again, I don't want anybody up here can't sing. Right? Neither do you. But, but it is not about being entertained. It's about spiritual growth. It's about the disciples' teaching and about growing in our faith in each other, motivating each other in love and good works and encouraging each other to become Jesus-centered people. That's why, that's why we do this. So let me ask you a question. How committed are we to meeting and growing together? Or is it, if it fits into our, and I don't want to be legalistic, so please hear my heart on this. Does it fit into our sports calendar? Does it, does it fit into our schedule of, of travel? Does it fit into our, whatever, whatever? Does that make sense? And I'm not saying legalistic. I'm just saying that some of us meet, but we're not committed to it, devoted to it. Does it make sense? And so, again, not trying to be legalistic. I'm just trying to say how important it is that we are not coming and attending church so that we can check a box or that we can become a number. It's how devoted are we to meeting together because it goes to the next one. Number three, people devoted to each other. It's one thing to meet together, but it's one thing to be devoted to one another. Acts 2.42, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Verse 44 says it like this, all believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. It's not saying that we have to do this in particular, but it does mean that when we get together, it's not just a meeting. It's not just a, hey, how are you doing? And then we go about our way. But there's, there's, there are some groups of people that meet, even though we're a large church, that you are devoted to one another. I've got small groups that I'm devoted to them. If they go through a hard time, we're there. If they're going through a rough time in their family, we're there. There's a, there's a devotion to this. There's a, there's a love. We never, let me put on the screen, we never look more like Jesus than we, when we love one another. You can lobby all you want to in D.C. You can do all sorts of great things for the less fortunate. But if we don't love one another, and this is the sad thing to me, and again, I know I've, I beat this all the time, this drum, but, but it's, it's, it's so silly that we get on social media and we fight one another over doctrinal positions, over women teaching, or, or over things that are like, really? You may disagree, but we don't have to look foolish in front of the world. We never look more like Jesus than when we love one another. And here at Hope, I can't... I can't control you. I can't even control you. I'd like to, but or me for that matter. But man, for, can we at least decide that we're going to devote ourselves to loving one another? Let me put it on the screen. How devoted are we to loving our church family? If you're just devoted to me or to one particular ministry, I'm talking about to the church family. I could be gone tomorrow. God forbid, but I could be gone tomorrow. It, 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 
are we devoted to each other? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Because it's important. Because the early church, talking about Jesus-centered living, there was something about them. In the way that they lived, they absolutely turned their known world upside down because of the way that they lived. And part of it is that they were filled with the Spirit of God. And they were committed to meeting together and, and growing in their faith and encouraging one another. And then they were devoted to one another personally. Do you have friendships here in this community of faith, in this church, where you're devoted to one another? The fourth is, they were marked by prayer. Acts 2.42, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And let me just put it on the screen quickly. Prayer helps us align with God's kingdom and God's will. Prayer helps us become a Jesus-centered people. So what I mean by this is the way Jesus taught us to pray. I talked about it at the beginning, that we don't pray my will. We don't put God in a box and say, hey, I'm praying in faith and I'm praying in a certain way, so you have to do it. That is false teaching. You, we align. I know what I want. I know what I want to pray. I'll pray for healing. I'll pray for what I want. But it, I've learned over the years to say, you know what? Nevertheless, Lord, what I want and what you want may be totally different. So I'm going to submit. How could we pray any better than God, your kingdom come, your will be done? No, there's no way, better way to pray. And so many times we're trying to align God with our will. Rather, prayer aligns us with his Many times we fast. And a lot of times the reason we fast is because we want something really bad. Oh, I'm going to fast now. I'm going to fast. And, and I hope God gets, I hope I get his attention. I hope he sees me because I'm hungry. Does that make sense? Because well, you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to, hey, God, I really want this. And to prove that I really want this, I'm going to fast. I'm not going to pray, but I'm going to fast. And I'm telling you, fasting, prayer, is to align ourselves with God's will, not get him to align with ours. What does your prayer, prayer life look like? And for many of us, don't, don't take offense, but many of us, our prayer life is when we're on the tollway and somebody stops in front of us, oh, Jesus, and that's our prayer life. Seriously. And I'm not saying you shouldn't say that. Better than saying something else. But... Sometimes that's the only prayer life we have. And, and I know prayer is a, is a religious term. Take it out. Talk. Just, do you have a talk life with God? All you got, if you can talk, if you can put words together, you can pray. You don't have to come to a church. You don't have to light a candle. You don't have to kneel. You don't have to lay down. You don't have to... You can talk to God any way. You can talk to him in the car. You can talk to him on, in your office. You can talk to him in your bedroom. You can talk to him anywhere. You can say, God, hey, I need your wisdom here. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure how to handle this person. I'm not sure what, what I'm supposed to take. Am I supposed to take this job, move across the country? Am I supposed to? Am I? God, I need your wisdom. I want your kingdom to come in my life. I want your will to be done in my family. God, help me. Those are, that's talking to God. It's easy, it's not hard, it's not complicated, it's not religious, it's a, it's a friendship, it's a relationship. And then number five, 
These people were equipped with an influence. These people were filled with the Holy Spirit. That when, when all hell broke loose and they were put in prison, they didn't freak out. Do you realize that? Do, there, nowhere ever do we read when they were put in prison or even faced death that they go, God, where are you? I don't trust you anymore. No, nobody did that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was working in their lives and they were being led by the Holy Spirit. They had peace in the midst of a storm. They had joy in the midst of bad things happening. They had love in the midst of people who hated them. There was so much, there is so much to this, but they were people filled with the Spirit. They were people committed to growing together and, and, and disciples teaching and devoted to one another in love. They were marked by prayer. And all of that made them an influence. Listen to this, Acts 2, 46, I think, or... 47, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met at homes in the, for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, even those who weren't following Jesus. And then as they were doing that, the Lord added to their fellowship. It was the way, gosh, it was the way they were living. There was something different. There was something powerful. There was something Unique. There was something that, that the, the people who weren't following Jesus were saying, hey, we, we don't know what you have, but we like you. Can we, can the church by and large say that today? That the world looks at us and they go, man, you guys are awesome. Or do they look at us and laugh? I know Jesus is gonna build his church. I totally get that. But I'm just telling you, sometimes we... I think, I think the challenge is that Jesus is not at the center. We have other things at the center. We have our agenda at the center. And this group of people, again, don't get mad at me. They didn't have government behind them. They didn't have any protection. They didn't have any rights. They just lived their lives powerfully filled with the Spirit of God if you took everything from them, they willingly laid down their lives because they love Jesus and they love people. Let me put it on the screen. Jesus-centered people always gain influence. Always. I know this. I know this. Jesus-centered people are the kind of people that those who are unbelieving look at and they go, there's something interesting. I don't know. I don't know about this old Jesus thing, God thing, creation. I don't know. I've got doubts. But I'm telling you, there's something about you and the way that you're living that, that interests me. Let me put it on the screen like this. How well are we influencing those around us for the gospel? Do they look at our lives and go, wow, and thank you for doing that. Thank you for living the way you live. I don't even know how you live. I don't even know what their thing is, but I'm just, I like you. There's something about you. Now, I know Jesus said that they're gonna throw you in prison and they're gonna hate you. Yeah, yes, yes. But there's also an influence that as we remain, John 15, as we remain connected 
to him, Jesus-centered living, there's gonna be fruit. So let me put it all together. Let me put this whole series together. Jesus-centered belief plus Jesus-centered living plus Jesus-centered mission equals a Jesus-centered life. Every time. And I'm not saying this is easy, but it's intentional. And I'm asking myself this question. I'm not preaching to you. I'm saying, man, there are areas of my life that sometimes I am selfish. Sometimes I am, you know, political. Sometimes I am centered on myself and my way and my family and Jesus-centered people are Jesus-centered people. Jesus at the center. Whatever he wants, that's what I want. Wherever he goes, that's where I go. Whatever he does, that's what I do. Not me at the center, not my family at the center, not the cowboys at the center, not my money at the center, not my career at the center, not my travel at the center. Jesus, you are at the center of my life. And when you get on that potter's wheel and, and that, that, that clay is being molded, and if you're centered, filled with the Holy Spirit, committed to meeting together and devoted to loving one another, and marked by prayer, there is going to be an influence in your life, from your life. And those around you are gonna want what we have. It's, it's powerful, guys. And hope, I can't speak for other churches, but I can speak, well, hopefully I can speak for us, that we wanna be Jesus-centered. So in just a minute, they're gonna sing a great song. I love this song. And I want you around all, at all of our campuses, they're gonna sing this. And, and during this song, the first thing I want you to do is just pray, God, and I want you to really ask yourself the question, am I centered on you? Are you at the center of who I am? I want you to humbly and, and intentionally ask yourself that question. And then when you're ready, if you want to say that, Lord, I don't even know what that means altogether. I don't even know how to do it, but, but I'm just saying yes to it. I want you to stand in the middle of the song at, at, at whatever point you're like ready, like, man, I am, I'm in. I want to surrender my way. And I want Jesus to be at the center of my life. Lord, you're so good. And, and what I want more than anything for us as a church is that we would align with your purposes. We would align with your will and your kingdom not ours, or not a kingdom of this world. So Lord, help us to be fully faith-filled and believing, fully in on living and being missional and being a people who are centered on you. And the kingdom of God will come and the will of God will come here in our lives, in our church, as it is in heaven. We surrender everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.